0: Welcome to Trapping Inc.'s Scuttlebutt Podcast. I'm Rich. I'm Sandy. And today we are here at the National Trappers Association Convention. This is the 59th year for this convention. It's huge. We're in Escanaba, Michigan. And our guest today is Jim Comstock of Comstock Cage Traps. Welcome to the show, Jim. Nice to be here. It's a pleasure. Uh, You... Are going a, a, a different direction than, than most of trapping. You're you're going completely uh, where you have the choice afterwards with, with the animal whether whether you uh, move it or or dispatch it. With your cage traps, you've made some uh, remarkable uh, strides and inroads in uh, in your products. Some of the stuff that you've that, that you've talked about, like your power doors and that, we'll get into a little bit later. But give us a background on you. You know, like uh, how you got started in trapping, where you live. Um, We're we're interested in all these things.
1: All right, Uh, I'm in the foothills of the Adirondacks, uh, Saratoga County. I started trapping in 1966. There was uh, a well-known trapper in our area, Johnny Thorpe, and he lived just up the road, about 20 minutes away from where we lived. He was a lure maker, and of course, he knew all the big guys, E.J. Daly and um, O.L. Butcher. And so uh, a friend of mine and I, we always used to fish and hunt And one day we had heard about this uh, trapper up there and we just decided to take a ride up and see him. And it was like the minute we went in, just looking around, I was kind of mesmerized. You've got animals hanging on the wall and he was skinning and scraping and stretching furs and there was animals on the floor. And there was, you know, bobcats and coyotes and otter and fisher and all kinds of things that I'd never seen before really. And just seeing that for the first time, that's just about all it took.
0: well, that's one of the things too that a lot of people don't understand is that New York has an immense variety of of fur. Everybody yeah. of course thinks of New York as the city right they don't they don't know about all about all that wonderful wilderness you actually have
1: they don't uh in fact, I used to I spent a lot of years traveling on the road for a variety of reasons. I just like to travel but when i would be asked where i was from mostly i would just say vermont (laughs) then i wouldn't have to make any excuses
0: (laughs) so this lit the fire this started you down the road to trapping
1: absolutely the only thing that about it that was tough i just remember being in there and uh smelling all the scrapings and animals and everything and after about 45 minutes I I just said to my friend Bob, I said I think I need to duck out for a few minutes. Yeah, and uh, but that was the last time that it ever bothered me. After that, it was uh, more or less uh, a comforting thing, you know, smelling the fur shed, you know. Listening. Oh,
0: I love walking into yeah. my fur shed because uh, a lot of the lures that we use are, have a have a very musk, uh, a lot of a lot of skunk in that in them, and that my My first head smells like that, and I walk in, and it's just you just relax you know
2: that's <laughs> he thinks it's marvelous until he drags it into the garage where my car sits. I don't think it's marvelous then <laughs>
1: I guess there's a place for everything
2: <laughs> oh that
0: that was very diplomatic of you, <laughs> so you started in trapping, and that would be- would have been how many years ago fifty two years fifty two years and back then uh what what was the uh, the main focus was it everything
1: um actually, uh yeah, I guess we did, and in those days, there was uh, actually bounties on foxes, bobcats, coyotes, and I think it was three to five dollars depending on for foxes and twenty five dollars for coyotes and bobcats
0: that's amazing that there was uh, there was bounties on on things like bobcats and that back then, huh. So that, that created a lot of focus on them.
1: Oh, it did, um, but only for a few people. I don't think people paid a whole lot of attention to it. I mean, the trappers like Thorpe did, you know, of course. But I mean, they were only getting like 2 and $3 for bobcats and and foxes and things, so the $25 and $5 bounties was definitely
0: important. Big money. It would be, yeah. be like having a bounty on beaver today if it was $5 bucks, it's more than the beaver's worth. <laughs> <laughs> Just about. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you, you started, uh, and I suppose you were classical then as, as far as your a footholder and, and you were snares and, and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, in, in New York State, snares aren't legal, so no, no we, we're just uh, you know footholds and ConiBears were just beginning to come into their own. They, I guess they were invented uh, in 1959, I think was the year Frank ConiBear made the first ones. And then by then it was the mid to late 60s. And so they were just becoming accepted. And uh, so that's what I learned on the most. But we did trap actually foxes in the summertime for the $3 bounty.
0: Okay. Okay. And so when did the, the cage trap come into being? The, what, what was the uh, motivator there?
1: For a lot of years I was a state hopper. I actually went with Johnny Thorpe to Virginia to trap beaver back in the 70s. And and actually, we actually trapped Canada uh, in Quebec. Really? Yes. There was a time there, it was freelance, and you could get a non resident license. Um, I was the only province that offered it. Right. And now you can't, I don't think you can get it anywhere no, no we,
0: we don't even get along with with, with other provinces so <laughs> well
2: that's not true we get along with other provinces but there isn't a cross border like we can't get a license in saskatchewan
1: no no but i was able to trap in virginia we got a lot of beaver down there in three years and then a couple years in south alabama and then in california judy and i went for eight years trapping bobcats and then at the end of that time the cat market had dropped off And so it was a time to go back home, build a cabin, and settle down, have a family. And after probably a couple of years getting the cabin settled or whatever, I started to do some more beaver trapping and realized that in our area, they were inundated, just overrun. They had closed seasons in areas. And then because they'd been closed for so long, when they opened them up, uh, they went from two weeks to six months because the beaver populations were so high. And i was able to catch nearly uh, 600 beaver in just 18 months around the
0: house and the whole problem was so after being closed for so long we'd lost out on the whole beaver trapping culture we'd lost out on the people that 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 would trap right sure they were gone oh it was great i had it all to myself it was beaver on
1: every corner people were stopping (laughs) me on the road usually when they say what are you doing you were kind of apprehensive and back off a little bit defensive and then they would say, uh, no, we got beaver on our farm. Can you come get them? I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and then then I had, what started the whole nuisance thing was a guy one day just simply said, I've got a skunk over to my place. You think you can catch them? I'm like, mm, give it a try. And I uh, started catching skunks and then you got woodchucks and you got squirrels and chipmunks and raccoons. And then it just, it just kept growing. I bought used traps from uh, another trapper who had um, actually bought some different sizes, he wanted to get smaller ones, so he sold me the bigger ones, which were fine to start with. Right. But they were single door, gravity operated, and um, pan pan traps. And so that was a bait and wait, we call it, you know, you put the bait out and you just hope you catch something. Okay. And it started in that way, and then I didn't like what was out there.
0: Yeah, the, with, with the cage traps. Right. So. The first innovation that you you made on cage traps was that the the walkthrough or the powered doors.
1: Well, it was like sort of a combination of uh, wire trigger, power doors, all at once. And I, I went actually through a couple of uh, kind of loosely knit partnerships that uh, fizzled out, and actually years were lost. It was kind of unfortunate, and I don't need to go through all that, but. Um, what ended up happening, I mean, the first partner I had one day, I said to him, I said, this will be great when we get the power doors and the wire triggers going. And he said, we don't need power doors. And as it turns out, that's the essential element that makes it all work. It, it stabilizes it and makes it function. It wouldn't be what it was without power doors. So the two are, are almost equal. You need power with a with uh, wire
0: trigger. Right. And the wire trigger, is it? Is it more important in the water than, than on land, or is it equally important?
1: I guess equal. It's equal. You learn stuff all the time. I mean, um, I just saw some footage where a raccoon where the wires weren't placed right actually stepped over uh, wires that were six or eight inches high in a, in a nine-inch trap. He just, like, slid over the top of it. And uh, and then the next footage was she was bringing the baby raccoons in and just plowed right through it and, of course, got caught. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, nothing's a hundred percent, but the wire triggers have certainly changed everything because then the traps can be set right side up, upside down, sideways, vertically on land, in water, or underwater.
0: That is the uh, probably um, the thing that struck me first was just the fact that you could you could uh, set it up. I was looking at uh, your trap in uh, one of the the stores back home, and it didn't matter whether it was laying on its side or upside down or whatever; it it functioned. And because you had those powered doors. It, it was it was absolutely foolproof, hundred percent, and didn't matter what direction it was. Once again,
2: very and, versatile. Yeah, right? yeah.
1: What that's that's what I say is it, a person wants to use the trap that has the most versatility, and why limit yourself with a single door trap? I mean, you wouldn't take a conibear, for instance, and butt it up against something so the animal could only be caught from one direction if it could be set in a place where it could be caught coming from both ways. Right. Well,
0: for instance, I mean your beaver trap is just a monster for success but you know because it is wider than it is than it is tall I mean if, if you ha- they happen to be in a in a tight uh, uh, tight little canal or, or whatever you can toss it on the side and set it in there and they dive into it done deal absolutely you know, and nothing nothing's going to interfere there's nothing sticking out that's going to get caught on anything right uh, having
1: you know worked with all kinds of traps over the years just about everything I guess th- having a trap that has nothing sticking out beyond the confines of the trap is so important. Not having any trigger mechanisms or anything to hang up on other traps or brush or anything else. Uh, there's other traps that have been made that have you know elements of the trigger that are on the outside of the trap. Well, a raccoon could simply climb up on it and knock them apart. Bingo, the trap fires.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the way your your trigger is set up, I mean, it takes the leverage of your of your wire trigger. To, to actually set that off. They, they There's nothing that they could be reaching through or grabbing or whatever unless they happen to be lucky enough to grab one of the wires to, to, to actually set it off from the outside.
1: Right. The, and what we've done is, I, at first, I noticed that the, most of the trap manufacturers, or an awful lot of them, made traps with one-by-one one mesh. And with that, of course, raccoons, possums, skunks, everything can reach inside. And it wasn't too long, in fact, before we ever actually got fully manufacturing, that we had already switched to half by one, right? And then it makes all the difference.
0: Yeah, I, I, I just, the, it's always the, the the most simple things. It seems afterwards, you know, uh, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But you look at it, just the fact that it was that it was a a walk-through situation where the both doors are up, and you, you you say to yourself, well, I mean, the animal isn't going to be bothered. It's wire back there, and and he knows that you know. How does he know he can't walk through there? Well, they do know. They do know and the fact that the both both ends are open and, and it looks like it's wide open in a way he can go through there that, that, that's so much more successful you know but it, it looks like such a simple uh, uh, change in in the style of a trap and yet it's such a major difference in how effective it is it is
1: amazing how what look to be simple changes have such a dramatic effect
0: yeah, exactly yeah, I said that much longer. <laughs> well, the nice thing is, like you said, you saw
2: the beaver trap in one of the stores in Canada, and that's something to pay attention to because Canada is signatory to a HEDIS. Yep. And uh, an ear trap is certified in Canada. So right. that makes a big deal for for Canadian trappers.
0: Yes. How many different sizes do you make?
1: Well, there's uh, a 9 by 11 uh, in the power door traps, um, there's a 12 by 12. There's a 12 by 18. At times, I've made custom 12 by 15s for people. In between, uh, was a fella um, in Washington, Mike Matney, wanted a, for a boat, and he was still catching 40 and 50 pound beaver, no problem, because we still catch those in the 12 by 12s. And then there was a uh, a, a trapper in the Midwest that was. Wanting a larger trap, just simply because then he has to do no fencing and doesn't have to look for tight runs. So I built him a 24, wide, 15 high beaver trap. I've got a couple of those I use myself too.
0: Okay, well, you showed me one of your original prototypes there, and it weighed, I think, 45 pounds. You oh, said? that monster! <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, the thing you don't have to worry about is anybody packing it off on you. Oh, jeez. I say. The only thing worse than not making a catch was making a catch. <laughs> yeah, 60-pound beer in there, and all of a sudden you're you're over 100 pounds. It's terrible.
2: Trying to reef that out of some
0: well, especially, type place. <laughs> especially especially he's live in there. He's not going to be really happy with you either. <laughs> you,
1: know, uh, you, you know, you asked about the size of traps, too. Um, we do have a, a chimney trap that's a 5x9 opening that I think we're going to now make a specialized raccoon trap with that in mind. We do have a 6 by 11 narrow one that a fella named Jared Walker had asked for, and they use them on soffits and um, tight spots and roofs, and they lay the trap on its side, and you say, gee, you look at it, and you say, what's that for? And and the raccoons just blow right through it. It's no problem, even though it's only 6 by 11. And I say, the chimney's 5 by 9, and they go right through those. So we already have the components made for the smaller traps, so we're going to do that so I don't have to keep making them all by hand.
0: So... The animal damage control um, segment of trapping then is is your your largest customer. That's all it is. That's that's all it Unless is. Unless
1: I get a call, I don't I don't move. I mean, I'm not an enemy of a fur trapper per se because if there's beaver or any fur bearers in between where I'm going, I'm basically blinders. I drive A to B, do my job, and then come back. And right. I can't say that I've never set a trap for a fur bearer. If I see a, a you know a, a really hot set somewhere, I I can't take it. But, but most of the time, it's like I don't have time you know to bother with a, a five dollar animal when I can go to another spot and
0: get seventy five. Exactly, you know? exactly. So you 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 still do a lot of damage da- animal damage control yourself.
1: Yeah, all the, yeah, full time, and that's why it's made it so hard for me lately because I promise people custom traps, and then I just say though. When I do promise them, I say, I don't have a time frame on it, please. And don't pay me in advance.
0: <laughs> you don't hear that one very often from a salesman. No. <laughs> no. Well, but I mean, that goes back to the fact that, you know, trappers are the last defense between civilization and the animals. And in today's world, especially when the, um, consumptive use of things like, you know, fur or deer or whatever is being come more and more scrutinized. Things like being able to trap these animals and remove them live or and transport them or do whatever with them, it, it is far more palatable to most people, right?
1: They do like it when you can uh, trap and release. Now, the thing is where I am, I have to have permission to release any animal. I can't just take it and take it from, you know... 21 main street and take it down to 92 main street and say oh here's a nice spot i'll just dump it off i've got to have permission oh to let it really? go yes i can't do it because all i've done is created a problem for somebody else
0: uh it's like government though they have to they have to get their finger in everything don't they
1: yes um and on that same line too there are states where you are not able to release anything
0: right that even though they're
1: live-trapped and humanely trapped in a way that they're not going to be dangerous to people and pets, that it has to be dispatched. Uh, raccoons and skunks, a lot of these are in the rabies vector anyway, and right. uh, they don't want disease transferred to some other place.
0: So you must have uh, a couple of very interesting ADC job tales. Um, one...
2: one and only one
1: (laughs) boy i guess so a a lot of the the problems it it it, we we talk back and forth i have some friends that i talk with on the phone quite a bit about it and uh, and actually they're using our traps too so we're exchanging information and stories and a lot of it actually becomes a problem with people as much as wildlife Mm -hmm. it's a very strange thing but people call up and I will talk them out of jobs as often as not. Somebody will say, well, I've got this animal, and I'm like, okay, well, why are you calling me? Well, I I thought I should trap it. My neighbor said I should. I'm like, well, is he doing any damage? Well, not really. I said, well, then why don't we just leave him alone? (laughs) <laughs> exactly yeah exactly. you know I, I like to feel that if I'm doing something it's to accomplish something it's for a purpose if you've got a squirrel that's chewed in through your soffits and he's chewing up your wiring in the attic and ruining your insulation yeah we're going to get rid of that quickly but um, I mean like somebody will have a woodchuck in the yard and I'll say well do you have flowers no do you have a vegetable garden well no I said well what and trouble well mm-hmm. he's not really causing trouble then is he
0: we were just uh, visiting some friends over in uh, Lower British Columbia, in, in the Okanagan Valley, and the wood ch- uh, wasn't woodchuck; it was uh, marmot. Yeah. The marmot there ate all his bean plants. He was pretty yeah. upset about that. <laughs> oh, that's different. Yeah, that's different. Yeah, if
1: they're wrecking your vegetables. That's the gloves are off. Yeah, <laughs> there's going to be more of it, though, isn't there? Oh, tons of it. We have. I've had more woodchucks this year, I'll probably double what I normally do
0: how many woodchucks would you do?
1: i do 50 or 60 in a year and I'm up to close to 120 already and the season's not even close to over. So are they cyclic then or is it just? Uh... Well I think what happens is like almost with beaver. I'll get beaver calls in an area for uh, say this year and I'll go in and I will say basically eradicate the beavers that are in that one area as a problem. And then while I'm trapping these areas, there's other areas. Then they're growing back again. So about the time I get this batch done next year, I'll get a call in a place maybe I haven't trapped in two or three years, and they've come back. So I trap them there, and it's sort of a rotation.
0: Yeah, and yeah. I
1: think the same's true with you know with woodchucks and stuff.
0: We, I, where where our trapline is in northern Alberta, uh, we have oil companies, of course, on the trapline and. Beavers cause a great deal of problem with roads, damming culverts, that kind of stuff. So they pay us to, to take care of the beaver. And I explained to them that you never really get rid of beaver, that, that prime habitat is always going to be susceptible to having beavers back. I said, it's kind of like beer. You don't really buy it. You just rent it. So <laughs> we can go get rid of the uh, of the beavers. But in, the, in a year or two, they're back. Yes. Yeah, they, and they always come back
1: to the same place. The same runs, the same channels, everything. So You can almost go back in the dark
0: and trap them again. Yeah, yeah. So beaver are a big problem and woodchuck are a big problem. What what other animals do you deal with?
1: Um, only a few raccoons because the rabies epidemic knocked our raccoon population way down. Oh, you had a big one, did you? Oh,
0: boy. Yeah,
1: there they they were lots of raccoons and then there were no raccoons. Really? And, um, I mean, I had them go through my yard With, um, I always tell people, if you see a raccoon and he's loaded with porcupine quills or he smells like a skunk, kill it. Because what it means is that they're attacking animals because their brain is gone because they're they're deteriorating from the disease. And when they attack a porcupine, they don't normally do that. And then they'll have porcupine quills all through them. And if they attack a skunk, they'll get sprayed. And with foxes and or coon, same thing and they'll, they'll tell you that. Now, on the same token, if they call me to come and get that animal, if it's in the yard, I can go get it. But uh, if it's run off, I tell them they probably won't see it again, because then at that point, it's haphazard where it's going to go. Right. It's liable to show up anywhere, and they'll probably be dead in 10 days.
0: I, I guess I wasn't aware. I mean, we don't have raccoons where we live. Oh. So I wasn't aware that I always knew that they were a vector for rabies, but yep. I, didn't, I didn't know that they actually got it themselves. Oh,
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the foxes, of course, too. I,
0: I was aware of fox, yes.
1: I, I wished I'd had my hat cam on a couple of years ago, it would have gone viral. I got a call, a fox had already bitten two people. Oh, wow. Um, the woman had been bitten, and then it was uh, tree service had bit him on the boot, but it didn't go through. But well, they called me, and, and uh, the ENCON, Environmental Conservation, doesn't do anything with that. They hand it over to private people like my, myself. So I was going to put my hat cam on and have my potato hook ready. And, but I thought, I'll just walk over here first just for a second. And I moved a trash can. And five feet away, I hear this growling and snarling, and this gray fox came barreling out. And it was like, whoa, you idiot. Oh, really? <laughs> what have you done? And um, I am getting rather elderly.
2: <laughs> so uh,
1: I, I did get away from the thing without it biting me. It was, it was on me close. And I, I hooked back and got back to the truck. It was rolling around out in the middle of the grass. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll certainly be able to go and dispatch it with my hook here in just a second. I took one step. And he turned just as if somebody had gone, "Hey," and focused right on me, and then he came right barreling right at me, which was fine because then I'm ready for him. so right. i I ended up dispatching him with the potato hook, and then he definitely tested positive for rabies. Wow, wow. yep, we sent it in. so great.
2: So thoughts. how do you have to handle something like that that that's obviously sick? So is there do you have to take special precautions with it? even when it's dead
1: well it's it's saliva and the blood that you can get it from it usually has to come from a bite and um that one there I just you know I've got my long gauntlet beaver gloves so I just take it and put it in a bucket and and then give it to them I turn it over to the health department and then they have it tested
0: wow I and the gray fox is something we don't have either we have lots of red fox but yeah and cross fox that kind of stuff but the gray fox is such a cute little thing like oh they're thinking are. of him being rabbit is kind of th- like thinking of a rabid squirrel
1: <laughs> they um they had actually this year it was a former nurse that had worked with my wife at the hospital at glens falls that was walking on a bike path and um was attacked by a rabid coyote last year just a couple miles from the house bitter on the face on the legs the arms and everything oh. And she and the coyote ended up in the canal together, which probably saved her life. She was afraid if she was going to die. This thing was all over. And I don't know if she pushed it in or threw it in or she jumped in, but they ended up in the canal and then it it separated. And the next day the ENCON came and uh, uh, one of the lieutenants who was retired had said that he had told the guys that if they split up, they might have a chance that if they stayed in a group, it might stay back. So one of them was having lunch separate from the group and the fox came, or the coyote came in and he killed it.
2: Wow.
0: Yeah, but that was like, whew.
2: That's pretty scary.
0: Yeah. We've had uh, a lot of um, protests in in Canada about beaver and beaver overpopulation. And in Saskatchewan, they they put a bounty on them. And so people were shooting them. All I had to do was turn in uh, the tail, and they got depending on which... Uh, county they were in, they got 30 bucks for the tail or 25 bucks for the tail. One of the fellows we know tried to um, start up a contest for whoever gets the most or the biggest or whatever, and all they had to do was turn the the, the beaver over to him. Because how it worked, and this was the way the, the, the Saskatchewan government set it up, is that you just cut off the tail and they were allowed to waste everything else. So all he wanted to do was to... Create this contest so he would end up with the beavers so that he could take the hides off them and the caster and that kind of stuff, right? The people were already collecting their their bounty, and uh, so he got protested by like the I forget whatever fur fur protest uh, group it was and that, and they, they they got all over him. Even though those animals were dying before he came up with the contest and the one year
2: all he was trying to do was utilize them he just wanted to utilize them yeah, yeah.
0: The, the 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 year before they had paid out on 38,000 or something like that mm-hmm. worth of beavers and uh this year i think he collected he he collected just about 700 beaver wow you know and, and put them to a good use rather yeah. than them just being wasted you know it was uh
2: people he, think they're doing good you know they they think somehow that You know, the beavers and the bears and everybody else just lives in the forest and sings kumbaya and they all get together at night and have (laughs) dinner. I don't know what people think, but I think it's the Disneyfication of of a lot of animal species that people don't understand what goes on in the wild. So then when something like this comes along, um, they somehow think that the poor beaver, you know
1: they need to go on YouTube and watch the footage of the crocodiles uh, ripping the zebras and wildebeest to pieces in the the rivers
0: in Africa. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we had just about something similar to that in in Alberta. We had uh, a a beaver control problem going on and they were controlling them, they had trappers controlling them and what ended up happening was uh, once again people found out about it, protested about it, they pulled it out. Well now the beavers were very territorial and there was dogs that got ripped up over it. Like people take their dog down, throw a stick, the dog goes in the water and the beaver w- was attacking them. Yeah. Well, it, it turned into a, this, this whole big explosion and then the, the uh, uh, you know, people it wasn't of course the peoples whose dog got hurt that, that had protested the beaver. It was, you know, but then they end up wanting to sue the city because the, the city had stopped the control. It was turned into a great big schmozzle. People have no idea what I, wild animals are capable of. Oh, yeah. When you see it, I
1: say the, the actual footage of, you know, lions and hyenas and all those animals. There's even times I have to kind of look away. I'm like, gee, that's kind of rough. Yeah, but that's nature. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And there's so many people that can't handle any part of that. And and that's the reality of the planet. Yes. That's, what, that's the way things are. Yep. And
0: they, they basically want to change the order of the universe. Well, they do, but they have they have this silly idea that if we if we all just talk, we can get along. Well, that might happen be someday possible between sentient beings, like you know other humans to humans, but it's never going to be that way between animals. Probably not between like a, a lion and a zebra. Well, even with your dog, <laughs> the, the only you know the, the dog either respects you or doesn't respect yeah. you. You're either boss or he thinks he's boss, but there's no in between. No. There's no coasting in that world, right? Uh, no. <laughs> so when you're Doing your, your animal damage control net, is there a lot of control on trapping in, in New York? A uh, a whole lot, yes. There is. Oh yeah, we Are have you? I have to keep a logbook
1: of what I catch, where I catch it, when I catch it, uh, uh name, address and people of who I trap for, what's caught and um and then turn it in at the end of the year. And you oh. can't you cannot get a license the next year until you turn in your book.
0: Okay. But you don't have to have, or do you, do you have training to, to be a trapper, to get your license? Uh, to become a fur trapper, initially, you have to go through a trapper training
1: course. And then to become uh, an animal damage control trapper, you have to take an exam. It's an open book exam. It's like a two or three hour exam. And I assure you, if you think you're just going to crack open the book and look through the pages to find the answers when you're doing it, if, you, if you're not well versed in it, you're not going to pass. You okay. really have to read the book over many times. And, um, and then, even
0: then, when you go to take it, it's like, whoa, there's a lot of questions here. Well, and you know, that's one of the things that I mean, education is always the, the, the most critical, but it is doing things like that, like, like being um, having some training and being certified to, to, to do the job of trapping that helps insulate us away from, from you know, the, the anti saying that we're just savages. You know, we have some training, we have some qualifications. That's important. I'm definitely all for it. And, um, well, there was things I even, I, I've been
1: writing articles for the magazine starting back about 40 years ago. And and what I would write uh, things about, say, foot traps, for instance. Uh, we were just having a discussion the other night about foot traps. And then the, the claim is, oh, that's those traps that chop their feet off. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, whoa. Um, I, I think we need to discuss this a little further. We're not foot trapping. We're trapping the animal. And to catch the animal, I have to hold him. And if he loses an appendage, then I don't have an animal. So I want to do uh, the most humane trapping that I can do so that I do the least amount of damage so that the animal is there when I get there. And then also, if you catch one and it's one's a small one or it's not colored the way you want, you want to release it, you have that opportunity too.
0: Right. So what's what's in the future for Jim Comstock and the Comstock traps? More cages. More cages? Well, I got lots of ideas. You do? Oh, sure. And we just, we just came from the
1: factory in Tomahawk, Wisconsin, that makes our traps. And uh, they're making all sorts of different styles. The, uh, there was like three or four sizes of traps they're making in the power door. And then they're making a, a swing panel trap for us uh, for chipmunks, squirrels, and smaller animals and now i just turned over a couple of different bobcat traps we've got four different types of doors they're all powered all the trigger systems are sim are similar in that they're not pans and the power door traps were the first with a lock bar then the swing panel traps and the squirrel traps were the second and the third is a bifold door which folds up again totally inside the trap they do make a lot of different guillotine door traps all across the country. But if you just go line by line, it's just being pragmatic and logical. When you look at the trap, you study it, the device, and how it works. Well, if you have a big door that sticks up, you're not going to be able to shove it into a culvert. No. You have to have a culvert that's at least twice as high as your trap, which is very limiting. You can't set it in shallow water where it's going to freeze in. Um, I'll just throw this in. The beaver trap is interesting that even when you set it upside down in a dam break set, we call it, you let a little water trickle through it with one door open, the trap can actually freeze in and still function. And so the top level of it will freeze because the trigger's then on the bottom. Right, right, right. But the bifold door is really neat because then you can put a cover over the trap. And if you're in a situation where most of us are, where we get snow and ice and rain and and it's back and forth. The 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 basically the the danger in any keeping traps working is 32 degrees. If you're always above it, you're okay, and you're always below it. But when it goes back and forth, freeze thaw, freeze thaw, you got problems. You okay. get a little snow, and then it it gets it gets up in the in the mid 30s. It drips a little bit, refreezes. I just remember as a kid setting Conibear's for Fisher. One drop of water onto the trigger, you might as well have welded it. And the fisher runs up and down the pole, eats all your bait, and the wires are all bent straight, (laughs) and he's gone. But uh, with the cage traps, it's the same thing. just takes a couple of drops of water. So if you've got a trap that you can completely cover, now that's gone. And with the bifold door, being that it folds up inside the trap, it's the only trap like that, you don't have that problem. The guillotine door, a little bit of ice will freeze them up. And what I got for feedback... uh, Fred Lawrence and he had a, a young partner, Rob, that they set twelve bobcat traps a couple of years ago, and they had four of ours set, bifolds, and they had eight guillotine doors. All eight of the guillotine door sets froze, and they caught three bobcats in our traps. So it made really? believers out of them. Really, and those weren't even covered. Yeah, it's just with the power and the way they were set up. But
0: you could, I say, covering's even better. Well, there's, there are so many places now where, where the cage trap is the only way you can trap. Right. Like Colorado and California. Massachusetts. Uh, Massachusetts as well.
1: Yeah. 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 There, there's five states now that you can't You, I think Arizona is another one. And um, cage traps are all you can use. However, what is heartening now is because of the new traps that we have, it's not a lesser tool. It's a different tool. Yeah. And, and in a lot of ways, it's actually superior to um, even foot traps and conibers. Right, right. It actually they actually do better. Well,
0: that's interesting. I've enjoyed our talk today, Jim. And uh, if folks want to know more about you and and your uh, your ADC, your your traps and that, uh, do you have a, a website they can go to? ComstockCustomCage.com. That that's simple.
1: ComstockCustomCage.com. And I do have a blog on there that I just you know, throw stuff on, um, as I feel like, there's probably, I don't know if there's 150 or 200 posts on it now. And because we are, um, you know, promoting our product, selling traps, any information that we get that's helpful to anyone trapping, we put on there. So we don't hold back. It isn't like, no, I, all usually trappers are very secretive and they don't want to share any ideas. Um, but when we go on the different sites, uh, whether it's on Facebook or Trapper Man or whatever, um, if somebody asks a question, we answer it.
0: Yeah, you know, you know, that's the only way it can be. We are in a unique situation in that um, we never claim to be experts, but we do, do know the experts, and and being able to to talk to people, we're in such a a, a different uh, medium with the between the digital and and the television that. And we like to share those secrets. I mean, it's not like I'm ever gonna be trapping on your trap line and you're never gonna be trapping on mine, but if we can share that education, it certainly helps us all be better trappers.
1: Oh, it it surely does, but I I enjoy helping people. I can't tell you how many uh, positive responses we've gotten from people that have said, You've increased our business greatly. You've changed our lives. We only use your traps now. And I mean, I'm just totally flattered by it. But at the same token, uh, when we came out with the traps, and, and and it was kind of tongue in cheek, but truthful, I said, we've invented the traps. Now you teach us how to use them. Yeah. And people will come up with all sorts of ideas. I just had a guy come to me the other day, and it wasn't even our trap. And he showed me a little thing about a trap that um, could definitely help in ADC work by catching a whole family group at one time in one trap.
0: That's remarkable. That, that, that's the best part, though, is, yeah. is when you get that feedback, because these are people that are, are, are depending on your product. Oh, and, absolutely. And when you get that kind of feedback and, and how they're using them, they, there's they, to me, that's a, a, a huge uh, form of flattery, you know?
1: We've always taken every phone call from everybody seriously, and we tell them, I don't want you to just flatter me to tell me, "Oh yeah, your traps are great or what are wonderful." I want you to tell me if you've had issues or problems or any kind of circumstances
0: that could affect us or others in the future, so that we can correct it if there's a way to do it. Well, right on our right on our first shed, there's a sign that says "No Junk Zone," yeah. <laughs> and nothing in there is junk. No. It's, it's everything that's in there has earned its place. You know, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there's just no time to be to, to be dealing with no, junk. No, no. Not at all. Well, I, I think we'll wrap this up here. It's uh, It's been great talking with you. I appreciate the time you've taken. It's very busy here at the NTA for you. And uh, want just want to remind everybody that they can find us at uh, our website is trappinginc.com. We are uh, now video direct uh, suppliers for Amazon. You can find us if you're a member of Amazon Prime. Just search Trapping Inc. on, on Amazon Prime and you can see all of our shows there, including not only just the first three seasons, but uh, nine episodes for season four. And of course, we are always on YouTube. Thank you very much, Jim. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure.